Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratoc Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. Hi, this is Bill, and welcome to this week's episode of Real World Fitness. This week, we've got the second half of that great interview I did last week with Juliet Starrett. Those of you that already heard part one, you know this is just a really intense, high energy, very exciting lady who's just amazing. I mean, she's done a lot of really cool stuff in her life. And uh, this is part two of that. We talk about the charities she's been involved with, and we talk about the... uh, the WAD website, some other real cool things. But if you missed last week's show, I really would recommend you check it out before you listen to the interview today. Want to once again thank everybody that turned up for the Hadley webinar last week. It was really cool and it really went well. I know I mentioned this briefly last week, but I want to just talk about it a little further. And, and so we had a nice group of people, lots of questions, lots and lots of questions. I didn't have to worry about filling up the time because everybody had questions. The moderator was sitting there with a list of questions ready to uh, insert himself if need be, and and that didn't end up happening. And uh, it went really well. It was a lot of fun. A couple of the people kind of caught me off guard with some of their questions, very well thought out and It was just an excellent experience. I'm really pleased with how it went. And I'm uh, very grateful to Hadley for giving me that opportunity. And uh, also kind of excited about the fact that they said they were very happy with how it went. And uh, they want me to do another one in the future. So any of you that happen to miss that, go to the Hadley School website to the archived uh, webinars. And you can find it there. And um, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Okay, let's talk briefly about future guests. This has been a rough week around here. Skype was down one day all day, so we had to cancel one interview. Another interview, I texted her to confirm the interview for the following day, and she said, we got to put it off. She uh, was walking in the French Quarter in New Orleans with her mother, and her mother fell and broke her hip, and they had to rush her back to New York for emergency surgery. And I really hope she's doing much better, and hopefully we'll be able to get that interview taken care of sometime next week. So we do have some really good guests lined up, but it was a rough week for uh, putting stuff together for the future. And yes, I know I've promised you guys some some people from the wrestling world, and um, well... Don't know what's going on there. I've gotten a couple definite yeses, but we can't seem to get the timing together to do those interviews. But what we do have on tap for you in the near future, we have Krista Scott Dixon from uh, Precision Nutrition. She's a co-worker of Brian St. Pierre, who we've had on uh, a couple weeks back. And she is probably the foremost authority on binge eating and emotional eating in the industry, or at least one of the most knowledgeable. And we had a great interview, which we're going to put up next week for you guys. We also are going to be doing one with a woman named Sue Falsoni, who is the first female head strength and conditioning coach to ever work with a major league professional sports team. And um, that's going to be really cool. Find out what it was like being, you know, the woman in charge of all these big male athletes and the strength and conditioning and all of that, as well as some other things in her practice. She's a very, very cool lady who's uh, done a lot of really interesting stuff. Now, we're on a run here now with the ladies. We seem to go on a run with the gentlemen where I can't 
find a female guest for a while and I get emails saying, hey, what about having some female guests? And now I think we're going to have like maybe four or five weeks in a row of female guests and someone's going to complain, what about the guys? So is what it is. They just come as they do. If anyone out there has any ideas or suggestions, anyone you'd like to see as a guest here, please feel free to email me. I've had multiple requests for Charles Poliquin. And uh, I've tried multiple times to contact him with no success. So I just want you to know I'm not ignoring you. I've had like four different guys out there, four different guys from different places in the country say, it would be awesome to get the strength sensei on, to get the coach Poliquin on. And I agree, but not had any luck there. So if anyone out there knows how to get a hold of Charles Poliquin, tell him I really want to talk to him. <laughs> okay. One last thing before we get to that interview, got to take care of that sponsor, audiblepodcast.com slash Saratalk. One of my favorite places to find awesome new reading material, constantly, constantly adding more books. And my, my thing that I really like about this site is because I do read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of the authors narrate their own publications and that's really cool to me because you can really hear in their voice their enthusiasm their their emphasis on what they feel is important in their writing and that just makes it more fun to me sometimes i find it frustrating you know when i'm listening to a book and the author is trying to do different voices and he gets confused on the voices and doesn't really know i mean these people that volunteer to read all the books for bard and for the talking book library they're awesome but when you have the actual author of a book reading that book, there's no question the nuances are where they're supposed to be. And you get to hear where they really feel it's an important book. Sadly, occasionally you also get to hear the fact that they really are bored to death with what they're doing. So you know how much they cared about the book they wrote. But that's few and far between. So that's audiblepodcast.com slash Saratalk. Go to that link, sign up for the free one-month trial, download one free book, and you're going to stick with it. after. Even after you have to pay, you're going to stick with it. It's a great source. And now to the second half of our interview with the co-owner of San Francisco CrossFit, two-time world champion whitewater rafter, Juliette Starrett. Have you had much or any experience in your facility? And, you know, since you work the business end of it, I don't know how much you interact with clients or how much you're even aware of who's in there. But has you have you guys in your facility had much interaction with any challenge, disabled, limited, whatever the PC word is, clients over the years? We have. And, you know, uh, one thing I'm really proud and stoked to talk about is that we have a, um, we actually offer a free adaptive athletes class now at our gym on Saturdays by adaptive. That can mean, you know, we have certainly people that are missing limbs and various other forms of disability, but we have, um, one of our athletes, uh, who's been with us for a long time, Max had, it was involved in like a terrible car accident as a child. And so he has sort of a, like a prosthetic leg from his, you know, mid thigh down. And he's been an athlete for us for such a long time. And I think had a very transformative experience because early on he started coming to our gym. And I think, you know, Kelly was like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't really care that you have a prosthetic leg, like you can do all this stuff and here's how you can scale it to suit your body. 
And so I think he had a really transformative experience because I think for many years, you know, he's a super athletic guy, but I don't think he was really encouraged in that way. And then uh, we also have another physical therapist on our staff, Diana DeToro, who is a, she's a Marine and a physical therapist and has worked a lot with adaptive athletes over the years. Um, so the two of them together put together this program. And so every Saturday for an hour, um, we have a very diverse group of athletes come in and do this adaptive athlete specific class. But I mean, we've also welcomed athletes with all types of disabilities just into our regular classes as well. I mean, Max is one example, but I'll never forget we had a military guy come visit us and he was missing a leg. And this was probably like three or four years ago. And I loved it because he showed up at our gym. He was a visitor for about a week and he he brought his leg bag and he had like five different legs in there. And we were all really excited about it because, you know, when he did, you know, when he did like, the running part of the workout, he put on one of those super cool, like those legs that have, I'm, it's hard to describe, but they, you know, the kind that like fast runners wear that kind of prosthetic. And then he had like okay. a regular leg that looked like a skin. And, you know, so he was really cool. I and mean, he was an amazing athlete. I mean, I remember Kelly taught him how to do, you know, he'd never done a muscle up before. And in like 10 minutes, this guy just like learned how to do a muscle up. That's amazing. I think CrossFit as an organization has done a really good job of including those athletes. Um, and saying, hey, you know, just because you're disabled or missing a limb or whatever your issue is, this doesn't mean you can't participate in this. But yes, yeah, so we do. We try to really be open and include people of all physical ability. That's excellent because I honestly, I've, you know, I've had situations where, and myself, um, at one point I had some interest in, uh, in checking something out. I'm not going to go into what it was, but it was, well, you can't see. Uh, no. Well, how are you, um, uh, I'm not saying I'm not willing, but I just don't know. And I went, okay, you, you know, and I'm hearing the hesitation because the guy's worried about offending me. It's like, but he's going, I don't, I don't want to do this. Right, right, right. You can tell immediately, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was searching for a kettlebell instructor, one of the CrossFit owners in this area, uh, I called him and he said, well, I'm gonna have to check on my insurance because you're blind. I said, Yeah. I said, everything else works, but, uh, you know, and uh, well, I'm going to check on my insurance. And then he quoted me a ridiculously high price for one-on-one sessions. And he <laughs> said, I said, great, check with your insurance. And of course, he never called me back. So it's great to see that you're totally receptive to it. And it's a challenge and somebody should look at it as a challenge and go, well, if I'm any good at this, I should be able to figure out how to make this work. And it's so interesting. The insurance thing is funny that I, I, that actually like, kind of makes me smile a little bit. I mean, I'm obviously a little focused on this kind of liability sort of thing since I'm a lawyer, but like it would never even occur to me to call my insurance people if we had a disabled athlete come in our door. Honestly, that's so interesting. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're just like, you know, we, we, and I think part of it too is I think we have such an awesome staff and I have such ultimate confidence in our staff that I know that every single one of our staff could work with almost any kind of athlete. So it just wouldn't even be a concern for me. And nor would it be a concern for any of our coaches. They would welcome anyone with any disability into our gym. See, that's awesome. And taking that attitude as, okay, haven't done this before, but we can make it work. That's just awesome. Because a lot of people, you know, the average person doesn't understand disabilities and is afraid of disabilities. And when I say I do this and that, all right, you train people, but how do you train people when you can't see? Simple. I have to put my hands on them. No big deal. Right, right, right. As long as they don't mind my hands on them, you know. Right. You figured it out by now. (laughs) Yeah. 
Exactly. Let's do a subject change, kind of, sort of, and, and talk about the uh, mobility wad. Well, it start. you know, it's interesting. Um, it was probably in 2009, uh, Kelly was running his thriving physical therapy practice at our gym. And he started coming home every day and saying, oh my God, I'm getting so frustrated. I see the same five injuries every single day and they're totally preventable. And honestly, I feel like I'm wasting people's time by charging them for physical therapy because there's no reason they should be in here seeing me. You know, all these injuries that I'm seeing could have been avoided if these people understood movement and mechanics. I mean, this was sort of an ongoing discussion we had. He came home often telling me this. And then it became kind of a joke because even though I'm not a physical therapist, Kelly would come home and he'd be like, hey, so... I had a client in today who came in with all this low back pain and I was like, well, did he have really tight hamstrings? And so even from the couch, I was starting to be able to diagnose people's issues <laughs> having zero professional training. Um, because again, we were starting to literally see the same things over and over again in our clinic. And I think Kelly had, he had a lot to say and he had a lot of ideas. And so he actually just one night took his eye, you know, and this was like early iPhone days, like original model iPhone. He just took his iPhone and filmed this first mobility wad video and he started like a blogger you know blogger blog site and posted and he'd already by the way there's this old uh i think you some of your listeners might enjoy it he uh started a blog early on san francisco crossfit a blogspot blog it's like san francisco crossfit.blogspot.com and all that content is actually still up there and there's some really interesting articles sort of kelly's early thinking and then also adrian bosman our first coach who now works for crossfit headquarters did a lot of writing and posting on there and it's interesting because people still talk to us about how they go and visit that old site a ton for information. It's still really relevant to a lot of people. But anyway, mobility, what was kind of the next step in that? And so Kelly just filmed a video, put it up on YouTube. You know, we uploaded it from our phone onto YouTube. He wrote a little blog on Blogger about it and just put it in the universe. We didn't tell anybody about it. We didn't talk about it. We didn't market it. We just sort of put it out there. And all of a sudden, it got all these views and people were watching it. And and um, and he said, we kind of made this commitment. It was called the Mobility Project. And our commitment was to film 365 videos, you know, a video a day for a year. And like we were talking about before we started recording, I think one of the things that people, in addition to the actual content being so useful, and I think it was really the first time anyone said, hey, you know, you can take a crack at both understanding and taking care of your own body. And this is, you don't need to hire a professional to do this. And oh, also a lot of the injuries you're experiencing are preventable if you actually just did some care of your body and understood how your body worked. So I think this was really revolutionary for people because no one had ever had this information. And I think a lot of people really needed it, you know? And so all of a sudden we were getting all these views on our videos and emails from people about, you know, what we were up to. And, you know, the technology was so limited, you know, we um, literally were filming it on a first model iPhone that we would upload directly to YouTube. Every video to this day we do in one take and I think one of the things that people have really liked about it is, you know, we have filmed the vast majority of our videos either at, in our garage or at our house. And they're certainly unedited and our kids are running in and out. And, you know, I think people have like seen our children grow up on MWOD videos and, you know, they enjoy seeing our house and what's going on in our lives. And a lot of our videos are filmed at our gym so they can kind of envision what's happening in the background there. Um, and again, it, like, like our gym, it started in a very organic way. We, again, did not start this at all because we thought it was 
turn into some kind of business. Yeah, we were doing it for the right reason, which is we had stuff to say and people needed the information. And Kelly felt like the physical, he felt like physical therapy, he felt and still feels like physical therapy is kind of in the dark ages and also really trying to, in a sort of a threatened way, hang on to their profession when really a lot of the stuff that's done in physical therapy is, are things that people can do at home on their own. And so he really just wanted to kind of demystify the process of taking care of yourself. You know, we, again, like the gym, we had no idea that it would go anywhere, it would take off. So we, we filmed all those videos and got an amazing response. You know, Kelly would like take his camera, his iPhone camera on the road with him when he traveled teaching courses and would film these videos, you know, in hotel rooms or wherever. Um, and so people could kind of like follow our life journey along with the getting the information from the videos, which I think was great. You know, and I think people early on said, oh, well, you know, don't you guys want to get a nice camera and edit these videos and, you know, put like logos on them. And I think what people really like and liked about the videos was just how organic they were. And, um, We've seen other people try to make similar videos and, you know, they have their name pop in with a, like a cool shing noise and, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't change, you know, it doesn't, but those things don't really help if we've got really, what we learned is bells and whistles don't help with content if the content itself is really high quality. And so we filmed the 365 videos and it actually took us a little longer than 365 days, but probably like, I don't know, 14 or 15 months, we managed to get all 365 videos and they were all up on YouTube for free. Um, we continued filming videos for another year. And then in 2013, I worked really hard to kind of redo our whole mobility wad site and actually turn it into a subscription-based site. And this was also kind of a new thing. I mean, it was definitely a risk because that was at the very, you know, I think the, the internet universe is changing and I think more and more people are starting to realize that if they're going to put forward good high-quality content that, you know, it can't just be like a nonprofit. Um, but we were definitely early on that on that train, having no idea, you know, I thought, well, sweet, if we can get like 500 people to subscribe to Mobility Wad, that'll be awesome. And it'll make us more excited to make all these videos and continue to create content if we actually are like at least paying for our website expenses or whatever, you know. And um, Okay, and I, well, right there, I got to jump in and say, and how many subscribers do you have? We have, uh, it varies, but we have between eight and 10,000 subscribers. Um, so obviously, it far exceeded my expectations um, in terms of subscription. It's seven ninety nine to subscribe, which, you know, I had no idea. I didn't know if we would get blowback by people who said, I can't believe you guys are charging for this content. And there were literally like two people online who said, well, I can't believe you're charging for this content. And actually our fans and followers, we, we didn't even need to get into the melee. Our fans and followers like jumped all over those two people and were like, wait a second. Like that's the, you know, $7.99 is the cost of it. That's per month, by the way. They're like $7.99 is the cost of like two Starbucks lattes. And, you know, these guys are putting up daily content, which we continue to do we're still putting up daily content and you know and so it's really interesting to see how our, our sort of core group and supporters kind of squelched the few negative people who said oh we're not going to pay for this and you know and we're like great don't pay for it but if we for our family if we need to you know continue to invest in this and make content like it can't be a nonprofit forever and we still have over 600 free videos on YouTube so you know we, we, we seem to have struck a nice balance between being able to like pay for our staff and maintain our website and continue to create content and also still have a ton of free content out there for people. 
Well, the way you'd have to look at it is, okay, $7.98 a month and the site is constantly getting updated. There's tons of new information. Or I can buy the one-time course for $59 or $99 and there are no updates. And like you say, I was, I was going to interrupt and say, you look like you probably were one of the very first paid non-adult content websites on, on the web. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we were, I mean, you know, I think, that, I think in the New York times maybe beat us to it by like six months, you know, they, you know, obviously now need to pay to, you know, subscribe to the New York times. But an interesting point, speaking of adult content is that when I, when I was building the, what we call mobility, what 2.0, the, the first level subscription site, I started really researching and working on it in 2012 and working with my developer and, Again, the way the internet works is so amazing and how quickly things evolve. But at that time in 2012 and early 2013, the only people who were doing a really good job organizing and managing a ton of video content was the adult industry. So we actually modeled our original website after a couple of adult content websites because there's it's really complex on the back end to manage a massive amount of video content and they were doing a really good job of it and they were really like like leaders in that world you know no one you know it's it, it's actually really you know they really did a lot of cool innovations in terms of web development in how to handle a lot of video content on a, on a website and how to search it and how to easily find it and how to categorize it and filter it and so you know um, we actually took a lot of website intervention from that world <laughs> I mean website inspiration from that world well, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you found something that somebody else is doing that's working, you know, you don't fix it if it's broken. This works. Okay, our content is totally different. Our market, maybe our market's different. Maybe it's not. And but the certain basic format is going to work for any business. If it's 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 almost like a plug it in. This is going to definitely work. So you you found a good model, and. Um, I think you're still one of the, well, I think you're probably from what little research I've done, one of the cheapest, if not the least expensive uh, paid content fitness related websites that are currently on the web. Most of them are around 15 to $20 a month. Yeah. And for us, we were like, hey, you know, we just, you know, again, like our, our mission with this was like, we need to feel motivated to continue to make content because our website is complex and you know, we have daily and continuing updates. We actually have a staff now who, you know, we actually have a people who work for us who maintain our website and so forth. And, uh, and so, you know, we were like, Hey, you know, we, uh, we feel like we've put a ton of free stuff out there and now we need to charge a nominal amount for our content. And I was pleasantly surprised that it was totally well received by people. I, I don't think anyone minds it at all. No, you're always going to have somebody that's going to complain and chances are they don't even train. <laughs> right, right, exactly. They're exactly. I mean, it's like any, you know, even in the gym too, you know, even in our gym, I mean, you know, 99.9% .9 of our members are delightful, easygoing people. And, you know, you always get the 0.1% who are just, they're impossible to please, you know, and those people do exist out there. <laughs> it's just their, their mission is to find fault. Exactly. And they're not happy unless they're trying to make somebody else as cranky or grumpy or miserable as they are. Or trying to get free stuff or whatever, whatever their motivation is. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, you're giving them tons of free stuff already. Now it's like, all right, we gave you tons of free stuff. Now, if you want a little bit more, you know, 
help me raise my kids and get them through college, please. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that was, you know, that was exactly our motivation with it. And it's been great because, you know, we feel excited, you know, we continue to feel excited about creating content and being involved and we still have a lot to say and things to offer. So we, we're excited about it. You're exhausting, but you're awesome. <laughs> uh, let's, let's. <laughs> I've only just begun. No, I'm kidding. I'm so scared. <laughs> 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 All right, let's let's do a little jump because you've been obviously a tremendously successful businesswoman. I'm not quite sure what Kelly brings to the table. We'll find out about that in a future interview. But yes, I mean, yes. it sounds like you're everything here. <laughs> uh, you've also gone to the altruistic and community service side of things. And I think there's some awards that you've been given. And uh, let's talk about some of your community service stuff and the charity. And Sure. Uh, Many years ago, I won this thing called the Jefferson Award um, for public service for, I, I spent many years on the board and working for an organization in San Francisco called Girl Ventures, which takes, it's basically a girls empowerment organization, which I believe in a lot, especially as a businesswoman in an industry where I'm usually the only woman at the table. Um, so I really care a lot about that. And I was super involved with that organization for five years. And then Kelly and I also started a, a nonprofit many years ago, probably in 2000, called Liquid Camp, where we took uh, kids with HIV and AIDS um, out into the wilderness and taught them how to kayak for a week. And this was a really cool organization. And we took mostly kids who literally, we, we taught a bunch of kids how to kayak who literally had never, most of the kids didn't know how to swim. They were all HIV positive. And one of the um, really interesting and amazing things about that nonprofit is it basically sort of um, became moot at some point. When we first began, our kids were all very sick. You know, we would need to, we had a doctor on, on site with, at the camp with us and we would need to wake kids up in the middle of the night to administer medication, which made them very ill. And we had kids who were very sick and a couple of our kids actually died, you know, a couple of years into our camp. And, you know, it was very obvious at that point, it was a super needy population. These kids are, were extremely ill and, and we really saw some very transformative, uh, sort of like the follow-up with them was very transformative. A lot of kids, their actual numbers in terms of their, you know, their health numbers actually got better after attending this camp. Um, and so it had sort of a net positive impact on like their psyche and their health by being in the wilderness and learning how to do new things and taking a risk. And, and so it was a very cool experience. But what was also cool about it is after doing it for 10 years, we actually ended it in 2000. And it was, um, it was because in that 10 years, there was this massive, massive gain in the quality of HIV care and medication. Um, and also the mother to child, because of all the prenatal care and sort of advances in medicine, the mother to child transmission rate of HIV has gone down to like less than 1%. Um, and then couple that with the fact that the medications have gotten so good that, you know, on our last year of camp, I mean, we had all these kids show up who you would never know they were HIV positive. We had some kids who were like playing on a football team and were like super muscular and jacked. And I mean, our entire group of kids could not have looked more normal and healthy. And we sort of reached a point where we were actually having trouble finding kids to attend our camp. So we realized in 2010 that, you know, we had sort of, we, you know, that it was time to 
kind of close down that camp. So we did, we ended it and it was just a really amazing experience. And then we weren't really doing much in the charitable universe for a few years. And then just this, over the last year and a half, we started a nonprofit called Stand Up Kids, which we are really pumped and excited about. And our mission is to get standing desks into, uh, not elementary schools, into public schools. And this all started because for many years and through our work with Mobility Watt, in addition to you know movement and mechanics coaching and self-care strategies, we've been talking a lot about lifestyle, sleep, and nutrition. And one of the things we also recommend to all of our adult athletes is standing desks. Um, you know, Kelly started seeing again, you know, from his experimenting in his physical therapy clinic, he started um, seeing a ton of orthopedic injuries around um, that, that he concluded were the result of sitting too much. Um, so for years, it's just been part of our practice. We say, look, if you want to take yourself seriously as a recreational athlete or a real athlete, you know, you can't train and once a day and then sit for the rest of the day. So this has just been standard, like par for the course, part of our recommendation. And people have, you know, this standing, standing desk movement has been taking on significantly in, in the adult, you know, adult world. But it just occurred to us a few years ago when we were volunteering at our daughter's field day that a lot of the kids were literally lacking the range of motion to get their foot into the sack. If you can sort of envision, it's like bringing your knee to your chest and then putting your foot into the sack. These were elementary school kids that were, you know, and also, by the way, when they were jumping, a lot of them were lacking the hip extension um, to really jump correctly. So the sack race was like exceedingly challenging for these kids. And that was sort of the first moment where we thought, oh my God, you know, we have been, we, we, we were really scared and like disturbed to see a ton of orthopedic dysfunction in kids that young. I mean, these are, you know, 11 years and younger. Um, so we thought that was really disturbing. And we also were kind of embarrassed because here we have been telling everybody for years, like five or six years that, you know, you can't sit all the time, you can't sit down. And it hadn't even really occurred to us to scale that backwards to kids and including our own kids. So, you know, we were both disturbed and embarrassed um, and realized we needed to, you know, figure out how to make a change here. And so we actually just set up a pretty informal meeting with our principal, thinking that we would really have to work hard to convince her that standing desks were a good idea for kids and more healthy. And, you know, we had done a ton of research by this point. You know, we obviously were well-versed and could make the greatest case of all time in terms of the orthopedic impact of sitting. But we also spent a ton of time learning more about the disease impact and the sort of long list of reasons that sitting is bad for you from a health standpoint. And we went in ready to sort of make our case to our principal. And we probably said like three sentences and she's like, I'm in, let's do this. And we put our money where our mouth was and we funded a standing classroom last year at our daughter's school, one fourth grade. So this is all nine-year-old kids. And so it was 25 kids at standing desks. And it was such, such a success. And the teachers and kids liked it so much that we actually added on uh, two other fourth grade classes and a first grade class. And then in the midst of that, we sort of built a website and actually created a legitimate nonprofit called StandUpKids.org. We partnered with a very legitimate organization called Donors Choose, which has uh, been around for 10 years. And they are uh, very innovative. Crowd, they sort of were the creators of crowdfunding. They um, do crowdfunding for public school teachers. So a teacher can post a project on Donors Choose for like anything ranging from pencils to a 3D printer and it gets crowdfunded by donors. And so we partnered with them and we're like super excited because in May we posted a project to get the remaining um, kids at our school standing and we we're calling it our stand-up kids pilot school. So uh, we posted a project. We were able to get 
over 900 donors to donate, which is the single largest number of donors that Donors Choose has ever had, um, to donate to this project. And so starting this, this year, two and a half weeks ago, we have 450 kids at our elementary school all standing, and it's the first all standing school in the world. So we're pretty, pretty excited about that. <laughs> that is very cool. Um, do we have a standing tables in the, the cafeteria area as well, or just in the classrooms? No, so far just in the classrooms, you know, okay. and I don't uh, know, I don't know why I asked that. It just came into my mind just then. Yes. No, I've thought about that too, you know, cause they all sit at these picnic tables, but no, so, uh, so far just the classroom. And really our goal is the studies show and we estimate that kids are spending something like 85% of their waking hours in sedentary positions. So, you know, even kids who are on a soccer team or a baseball team and, you know, basically train once a day, they're still spending the massive vast majority of their hours uh, sitting. So our goal with this was to just create some section of hours during the day just to help create minimize the overall time kids are sitting. And that was really our goal with this. So do we think standing desks are the end all be all to childhood obesity and all these other issues? No, but we do think they can make a great impact. And we know based on the scientific research that kids learn better at standing desks. So there are 500 arguments about why standing desks are way better for kids. And there's also pretty much no one I don't think in the world who can make a, a coherent argument that sitting is good for you. <laughs> so, so, you know, we feel pretty, um, we feel pretty excited about this and, you know, now we want to try to bring it to other elementary schools, which, you know, we are, we've had a massive amount of interest in this. So we obviously struck a nerve with people. I think people are really seeking for alternatives and are, are aware that the um, physical inactivity and sedentariness is a, really a serious, horrible problem in our culture um, and are looking for alternatives. So we're pretty excited about it. You should be. It's, it's an awesome thing. And, you know, this is a time when the world is so aware. You know, 15 or 20 years ago, you might have gotten laughed at, but now everybody is so aware, everyone is so health conscious, everyone is so cognizant of things like, you know, childhood diabetes and childhood obesity. I mean, you just go to the mall and look at the kids and it's it's just the saddest thing. And you think these 13, 14, 15 year old kids, what are they going to be like when they're 30 or 40? I'll give you I'll give you a scenario. I have a, a good friend who's a retired high school football coach, and a couple months ago, he I ran into him and he said, "I just came from a funeral." I said, "Man, that sucks." He said, "Yeah, in the last year, I have gone to six funerals of former players, and not one of them was over fifty five. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. It is. It's a it's a terrible statistic. And I think what we've learned and what I've become really obsessed with is, you know, obviously I own a gym and I, I believe and I 100% believe in creating form like a formal training environment in your life, you know, actually exercising at a gym for strength and conditioning and for cardiovascular purposes. I 100% believe in that. But I think what we've really lost in our culture is we aren't all getting enough non-exercise activity. And that really can be the sole difference between like obesity and not being obese for adults and children alike. Um, you know, we just don't walk enough and we don't do enough just kind of basic moving around throughout the day. Um, you know, we literally, even for people who go to the gym one hour a day, they're, they're, con like they're considered to have a sedentary, be a sedentary person. You know, so I think a lot of people have confused this formal training, this like one hour or hour and a half a day of going to the gym and exercising with like 
the, they, they just sort of think, okay, box checked. Now I can just be a slob for the rest of the day. And you really can't. You need to walk and move and stand at your desk and just be as physical as you can be. You know, park as far away from the mall as you can and walk a little farther and take the stairs. And it's all those little basic things that I've learned in my research. Like those actually add up to make the difference between people being fat and not fat. And this is among people who all exercise. That's really yeah. the difference. Well, well, going back to the kid part of it, kids don't play. Kids play on their phone, on their computer, on their iPad. When I'm a, I'm a little older than you, I'm I'm 57, and when I was growing up, you know, uh, you're home from school, you did your homework, go outside and play. I'll call you when dinner's ready. Kids played. Kids did stuff. They were physically active. Okay, you fell down, you cut yourself. Okay, good. Wash it off. All right, come on. Go back outside and play until nine o'clock. Kids do not play. Kids are not physically active, and and that's where a huge part of the problem comes from. Right. And then I think that's where the great misconception is. I mean, it's the same thing with kids. I, we know so many kids who, you know, they play a sport, they go to a sport, they play soccer a couple times a week and they do stuff. And so their parents think, oh, good. Well, my kid's active. That's really the, but the issue is, I mean, you know, Kaiser Family Foundation did a study that showed that kids between ages eight and 18 these days are spending an average of seven and a half hours a day in front of a screen. And that's actually regardless of socioeconomic status, which I think is a huge deal because I think, you know, where I live in Marin, County where it's, you know, very upper class group of people. I think all these people would be like, oh, not my kid. You know, I limit my kid, kid's screen time or whatever. And, you know, it turns out that's not really the case. I think people really have sort of, you're right, they're spending time in front of the screen. And that's one of the arguments I make. I mean, there's definitely been some people with our standing desk project. They're like, what? You know, I sat at school when I was a kid and I'm fine. And I say, well, yeah, but, you know, when you were a kid, you walked to school, you played outside all the other remaining waking hours of your day. There were no screens. There were no TVs. So the only time we sat when we were kids was at school. Now school is just one of, you know, many hours that like 12 hours a day that kids are sitting. So it, um, it's just a different, it's, it's so different. And all the technology has really changed it. And obviously technology is awesome in many ways and has done so many amazing things like we were talking about earlier in terms of sharing information and whatever. But, you know, the, the downstream impact, especially for kids, is huge. Yep. There's no question about that. Somewhere I saw something, and this is like a carryover from your standing desks, treadmill desks. Isn't yes. that going a little too far? Yeah, I hate those. And I actually, they make me mad. And there's also these biking desks. Those make me mad too. I, I like, I want to like, find those people and say like, you're ruining the movement because they just are silly. And I mean, from a, from a school and kids standpoint, they are so not scalable that I think a treadmill desk costs like $8,000. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's just plain not scalable for kids. And I mean, it's really not scalable, but for even adults, I mean, on a corporate level, whatever. I mean, you know, if I was a large employer and I was, if someone suggested me that I buy 500 treadmill desks, I would be like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, and so I just, it, it bothers me. I think it actually does not. I think it looks ridiculous. It seems silly. It seems contrived. And I think it bothers me that it's out there because I think it actually sort of detracts from what we're trying to do with our movement, which is create this really, a kid's standing desk is relatively inexpensive. It's cheap and very simple and very scalable. I'm glad you said that because when I read it, I don't recall where I read it and I thought, that's got to be the stupidest thing yeah. in the world, in the workplace, 
how do you concentrate on what you're doing and not fall on your face? And it just seems just, like such I mean, a for sign a variety of, of reasons. Yes. And it just seems like, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it, it really bugs me and I think it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's just taking a great idea and just taking it way too far. I didn't know about the bicycling desks, Yeah, but then you're really back guys, to sitting yeah. again. Right, exactly. I mean, that's exactly. I mean, one of the big things Kelly and I care about is the orthopedic dysfunction and the 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 issue, the downstream issues related to sitting. And exactly, we said the same thing. We're like, wow, great. Put a recumbent bike attached to a desk, and there you have a bunch of kids sitting again. Like that just kills us. That one's the recumbent bike desk is even worse than the treadmill desk. <laughs> it's, I, I didn't know about that one, but that's ridiculous. That's yes, just it's horrible. I mean, and don't even bother looking it up online because you'll feel disappointed. <laughs> okay i'm trying to think what we have missed here we talked about whitewater rafting we talked about law school we've talked about crossfit we've talked about the charities i'm gonna let i'm gonna just throw it at you what do you want to wrap this up with first of all thank you for having me and second of all if any of your listeners are interested in kids and standing desks you should uh check out our website standupkids.org. Uh, there's a massive amount of cool information that we tried to really pare down into simple and easily understood ways. And we have printable PDFs and it's just a very cool resource for people to learn about what this movement is. And I would assume on that website, there is a link to make a donation if somebody is interested in doing so. Yes, there is. Okay, I will make sure we have all of those links in the show notes because this is an awesome idea. It's an awesome charity. And I'm sure even if somebody wants to make a really small donation, everything adds up and everything helps. Everything adds up. Okay, well, I really appreciate you taking all this time with me. And this has been a lot of fun. Like I said before, this has been about the easiest interview I could do. I didn't have to think <laughs> of questions. Just kind of point you in a direction and let you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks so much. This is Bill on Real World Fitness, and we've been talking with Juliette Starrett of uh, San Francisco CrossFit and uh, the Mobility Wad and a whole bunch of other things. And hope everybody has an awesome week. We'll be back next week with I have no idea what, but we'll have something good for you. Real World Fitness is a production of the Serotalk Podcast Network in cooperation with CosiabaFitness.com. All questions, comments, and feedback should be submitted to resources at Serotalk.com. If you're listening on a mobile device, use your iBlink radio app to submit an iReport. Promotional consideration paid for by Audible.com. <laughs>